0: hello uh, hello hey karen how's it going hello How are hello. you? hello i am well um yes it is a wednesday afternoon um i don't know not much just i just published a piece on the angry video game nerd oh uh, so i'm very happy about that um yeah what if you what are you up to today I
1: have been in a busy place. It's like I seem to have actually aligned everything I did in terms of meeting other humans today. <laughs> I, I left the house and went to, I went to my left woke up at 8 a.m., left the house, went to my therapist, did brain stuff, went from there, worked, got my pages done for the day, then met uh, another friend for lunch because she's interviewing me for a con and I had to give her a load of books, which is fun. Mm-hmm. Then I went and bought running shoes. Ooh. Then I met an Another friend who had to give me a load of Warhammer stuff, which he uh, a game shop had given me. Bless them. And now I'm here talking to you. you know, so really much you've day. done,
0: so much. Oh my god! I was thinking about Warhammer earlier, partly because I knew we were going to be talking, and I thought it might hmm. come up, and partly because I was uh, writing a little thing about. Um, well, I was thinking about Lego and how Lego right. Lego has gone from being. Sets that sort of the Lego company invented that were sort of self-contained universes to mostly kind of branded partnerships, which is kind of weird, but I think people maybe get a little too panicky about it. But what that made me think of was in the early 2000s, when Games Workshop acquired the license for Lord of the Rings, they produced a line of Lord of the Rings miniatures, and they their licensing agreement was very strict in that... If you were participating in any kind of official games workshop tournament or modeling contest, you were not allowed to include Lord of the Rings pieces if it was like a Warhammer contest. They were very specific about this. Mm. So if your uh you know Chaos Lord uh has uh Christopher Christopher Lee's face uh from from the Sirman <laughs> model, you are disqualified. I thought that was yeah. so strange. They're funny, aren't they? Uh I mean games workshop like a
1: word goldfish bowly. That's not the right word, but they they very <laughs> much like a gardened universe. They're like weird like a kind of fantasy Disney in that kind of way. Like a miniature Disney with like a chainsaw. That's yes. the kind of the way I think about it. And yes. it's like they say a lot of it is like it's normally because they stop other people's miniatures. You know, like if you go to a Games Workshop tournament, you can't use any pieces from anywhere else. Yes. Uh, and so the, and you know, like I, I actually one of the, my tiny websites occasionally blog, and it's basically cheating Games Workshop stuff in terms of where you can <laughs> buy stuff, which is a bit similar but cheaper. Uh, but no, no, you know, and they have this kind of like this is obviously a business model you know this is their kind of the the games works with a kind of the culture's business model where they have the kind of little cell where you can safe, you know the the little shops you go to where you can safely be very very geeky and paint your miniatures in a very safe environment and then you know that's kind of their business model and it's very easy to look at solely for the capitalist lens but then you get something like that as you said the uh, kind of oh you can't use Saruman, uh just you know and then you realize oh it's something else entirely (laughs) (laughs) you know it's also the kind of like no no we actually have a an aesthetic in a world we want to present
0: and you know you can't just have all you know Tolkien orcs hanging out with our orcs that would be ludicrous. very different you put them side by <laughs> side you think an orc's an orc if you put those two orcs side by side they are not from the same they're not even the same species my man I, I know it's like I've been looking I had
1: over Christmas I had a few friends of ours he has a regularly he has a yearly I will watch all the Lord of the Rings in a day movie mm-hmm, mm-hmm. thing so you know the or at least the, the extended editions of the trilogy uh, and we joined in and of course i've never done that before like in one go which was an interesting grudge and like you know trudge for the human soul in terms of like <laughs> hey you're, jo- you're joking all the way through it you know mm-hmm. and it's like you're six hours in and you think oh we actually at more you know we're not we're not even seeing mordor yet uh but at the same time it made me start thinking about tolkien again for a variety of reasons and so i'm looking at the miniatures and yeah these are like a completely different aesthetic um and it's funny how much like what is an orc you know like anybody who's
0: what is an orc that's a very good
1: question in my next comic which hasn't been announced yet i define an orc as anything you can kill without ethical worry
0: (laughs) that's a very good definition of an orc thank you i'm a professional (laughs) yeah well that's why they pay you the big bucks they
1: they, they pay me the medium-sized bucks. that's why they pay you
0: the the bucks whose size (laughs) well let's not get into it too much but that is so true and you know Orcs, um, I think in in a lot of media, have a really interesting and troubled history. Obviously, Tolkien and a lot of the sources that are drawing on Tolkien kind of maybe thoughtlessly at this point, because it's just become reproductions of a reproduction to uh, accidentally quote Fight Club. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, they're kind of based in these stereotypes of like the other, often like a racialized other, mm. kind of a savage uh, trope. Um, and then you have Games Workshop come along, and their orcs don't feel that way. Like their orcs, I mean, they're drawing on some of the imagery certainly, um, but Games Workshop's orcs are much more like lads.
1: Yeah, it's it's the I say it's, it's the funny thing about the British football hooligan. It's yeah. the here we the here we go with it. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. The fact like it's so much like the eighties Warhammer stuff, especially then, was drawn in this kind of like. I mean, the fact I always come back to. It's like the, the original fantasy universe before 40k is the you know, this is made by a bunch of British people mm-hmm. and it's based on a kind of reimagining of like the the world map. Uh but Britain isn't in it. Well, rather, mm. Britain is in it, and it's a foggy island where nothing happens. And that's kinda <laughs> you know, that is there anything more British than the kind of, yeah, we're gonna make the world but you know, this the level of like okay well, at least <laughs> a specific strain of britishness where you know it's midland it's like this kind of midland self-deprecating kind of taking the piss of it all and you know mm-hmm. that's yorks mm-hmm. you know that's that's uh and it did you say it strips a lot of the kind of it definitely strips a lot of the issues i mean this is the most obvious observation anyone makes about fan. you know the fact we use race in our direction dragons rather than species that's really one of those kind of uh, yeah telling moments um and of course, it is always one of the reasons why I think. I mean, Games Workshop have just done this thing where they've, a few years ago where they've blown up their fantasy universe and remade it into a different form, which is a bit, a lot more kind of uh, multiversey, might be a way of putting it. Mm. Uh, but originally, as I said, it's just... I mean, as you know, this, this single map thing. Uh, and of course, the fact you're mapping fantasy species onto a world map automatically makes it really problematic
0: right? right. <laughs> you
1: know you, like the uh, aztec culture are basically lizard men yeah <laughs> like, yes. you know there's no way around that being a bit it's you know and the, by moving it off the map the orcs kind of remove the kind of the uh, you know the yorks become more of this kind of pure statement of like uh as you say there's the british kind of football hooligan model you know, I was pretty sure the Warhammer would turn up. I wasn't sure it would turn up this quickly.
0: <laughs> so I, I, I'm I sorry for railroading that... you into this. I've just been thinking about it. Just, I don't know. That's on my mind because I came in. To, I don't really play Warhammer anymore, but I did as a teen. And I came into the hobby right as some of the earlier elements were being jettisoned. So I came in in third edition. And that was, I feel like, when they really started trying to solidify a brand that would appeal uh, outside of the UK, that was drawing mm-hmm. on fewer cultural references, that was much more a kind of dark, like, you know, the when people talk about 40K, they talk about, like, grimdark. And that's when that started to really take root. But prior to that, it was just weird as hell. Like, there were just, like, everyone had mohawks. Uh, because it was the eighties, uh, people, everyone was riding motorcycles. Um, you had guns that just like fired little like slugs inside people's armor and just like made them dance around trying to get rid of them. And, uh, they started kind of getting rid of a lot of that. They just started kind of streamlining it and trying to make it more like a kind of quote unquote realistic war game. Um, And I feel like that's very much continued. And now that they've become this huge brand, like, I sort of saw the rise of that too, right? Like, when they started doing those um, RTS games, the Dawn of War series, they've become this, like, huge, like, giant corporation. And they've really leaned into that, like, we're serious. It's very serious.
1: It's funny. They go back and forth so much. Mm. I think it's like, I, I I basically dropped out of Warhammer when you started playing. Right. Like, and not and not because of like actually growing bored with the games per se, I think. I mean a little bit of that. But it's more that I was it's my I was going clubbing, like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, I, I had limit yeah. I had limited times in my like yeah. late teens yeah. and twenties for playing Warhammer. And I sort of segued back into an interest in the, you know, miniatures generally and Warhammer specifically at some point in my early thirties, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like mid thirties, maybe. It was a kind of like, no, I'm quite happy to do something which is utterly pointless. Mm-hmm. Like, I've, I've been fortunate enough to be found a way to make money out of anything I like. The problem <laughs> is that, of course, you know what I mean? Like, almost everything. Like, I was a video game critic. I, You know, I got into comics. I became a comic writer. Uh-huh. I've probably earned more money than I've spent on every single one of my interests. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I'm, that's, that's... If, if capitalism is a game, I'm, I'm winning. <laughs> <laughs> and that's depressing because it turns everything into work. Oh, yes. Yeah. So, the idea of... um Doing, like, I'm not a good miniature painter, but the idea of just silently daubing these miniatures, <laughs> uh, and it's the only time I ever sp- a don't check the internet and b don't talk. Why mm. my speech my speech slows down. So the idea to have this entirely safe safe place it might be the wrong way of putting it, but it is kind of like gardening or knitting. You it's, it's like it's like knitting with like yes. axes or whatever.
0: Yeah.
1: And it, that was the thing why I found myself coming back to it, um, but and so this is sort of this looping back to what you're saying it's like the um the up and down of how serious warhammer takes itself varies usually i mean for me the 90s they were kind of uh, they had this thing which was skewing mid to late teens that's mm-hmm. uh, mid to late teens and old and it's kind of like a it's telling it's they used to give away like a heavy metal heavy, heavy metal flexi discs on the cover of white dwarf they had a <laughs> kind of associated you know metal album sort of stuff you know there's a it's fundamentally Midlands metal culture.
0: Yeah, okay. um,
1: and they, they skewed it a little younger by, it's funny because simultaneously they made it less funny, but they also made it less grim. Like the mm. true extent, you never get any grimmer than them. Um, have you ever seen the Realm of Chaos books?
0: I've, I think it I would I've seen bits time. of them. I ha- I've never had a copy, no. Oh I no, mean,
1: it's like I, that's, of all the RPG manuals I've ever had, the Realm of Chaos book was the one I sort of hid beneath the bed.
0: Oh yeah, because that's got all the weird chaos god stuff in it, yeah. Yeah, as in,
1: and they just went for it. I mean, I was I was told that those books cost so much money on the art they almost bankrupt the company at that point. Oh and it's god. almost like Warhammer as high. I mean, they're, they're funny as well, but they're also, that they introduce stuff like the Horus Heresy and all that kind of stuff in like oh, three pages. Yeah. Right? And these, <laughs> they, you know, what I mean? These things are like the concentrated text of all Warhammer stuff. So, and they cut that back because it's too offensive. So, in other words, there's a sanitizing bracket around Warhammer in the 90s that became, you know, which I think, okay, for me, that's a bit of a shame. Um, And some of it leeches back at different times. That's Mm -hmm. the thing. It's like Warhammer goes to periods where orcs can't be funny versus orcs can be funny.
0: Yes. And I
1: think we're kind of in an orcs can be funny period again.
0: Oh, that's nice to hear.
1: Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, the the fundamental designs of the orcs are so silly. And for me, it's like, even the serious models are funny.
0: Yeah, I'm going to bring up an orc real quick, um, because they I do remember them being kind of funny. They're like, oh, yeah, I love these guys. Love these guys. They're big heads.
1: Yeah. I will say, some of them, this is the this is the awful thing I've dragged people, my friends, into playing Warhammer, in that I just show a few of the models. Some of them are just, <laughs> the, there's a level of delightfulness to it. yeah uh, like, Especially because I have enough models to two people to play. Oh. So, people kind of get join in, just hang out for a bit because it's not a, the thing about Warhammer is it's not a serious game.
0: No, it can't, you yeah. cannot take it seriously because, like, even when I used to play, God, if you want like a tactical game or like a strategic game, <laughs> this is not it. No, 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 it's like it's this
1: weird kind of performance craft hobby thing, isn't it? Yes, like yeah.
0: you know, it's all about
1: it's a game about spectacle and mm-hmm. like you put and you make you know, and these miniatures. Tales of heroism between these or utter incompetence. Yeah. You know, and it's like, and that's fun. You know, you can get someone together, especially because the rules are kind of quite streamlined at the moment. Mm. um Definitely, they go period. Games Workshop go through periods of being utterly evil and less evil. And I must admit, <laughs> I think at the moment they're in the position where you can sort of see them realizing, shit, we've got a. <laughs> we have a really problematic IP with bits because it was designed by. Uh, a bunch of white dudes in the Midlands in the eighties. Sure, yeah. Uh, what what can we possibly do to course correct without like fundamentally changing the whole thing?
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: you can sort of see them. It's like um, like the age of Sigma. They're kind of the reboot. Is, is there's distinctly more okay. There's women, uh-huh. <laughs> but there's even stuff like um, they delib- like the the main hu- new heroic creatures. These kind of like these uh, Sigma who are basically like kind of good and dead. Might be a good way of explaining it. Like the Valhalla, you know quasi odin steals people at the edge of death takes Uh them up to heaven puts them in a suit of armor and sends them back and every time they die they get reformed and sent back again so it's kind of grim and over the top and stupid but explicitly they're all wearing helmets and the first you know and there's a few models now without helmets on and like the first were first one with the helmet offers a black guy uh and then they've kind of had like a few others and like so, in other words, there is the implication that, oh, no, beneath helmets they could be anything, quote-unquote.
0: Oh, and then they've got yeah. stuff
1: like the rival faction they've interviewed, like the kind of the cornate circa berserker warriors. In the starter box that they've painted them in a mi- uh, mixed uh, a variety of flesh tones. And they've got stuff like, deliberately, quite a lot of the models are wearing masks. Despite showing a lot of skin, they're wearing masks. In other words, they don't need to worry about, like, uh, specific features. So they're kind of trying to create spaces where people can actually... You know what I mean? I think they're like uh-huh. so. It's kind of it's baby steps, <laughs> but you can sort of see them really, really trying <laughs> as best they can, huh. uh, which is nice to watch. Because you know, um, I've only I said I've only really been following Games Workshop closely, but like, I sort of did it very casually for like since about two thousand and eight. Mm-hmm. But last like four years or so, me and a friend Matt Sherritt, we started like thinking about this quite seriously, um, and it's interesting to see them realise there's a problem mm. and try to work out what to do about it. Um, Anyway, that's a ramble.
0: <laughs> no, yeah, it's fascinating watching these creative properties that were launched 30 years ago, trying to figure out, like, okay, how do we fit this thing into this world? And I think that's something that, you know, any franchise or or character or whatever that was created decades ago has to grapple with, and some do it more successfully than others have you heard my baby boomer rant? No, please, This is my standard. please.
1: People ask me like the Marvel and DC universes. I mean, the problem, DC universes were made, it basically set up in the thirties. Yeah. Marvel was basically set up in the sixties. Mm-hmm. And of course that mean, of course, as everybody knows, that means the primary characters in that universe were defined in those periods. Yeah. And of course, speak to the social mores. Um, the secondary problem is it means those characters are taken and that, not just those specific powers or anything, but their position in the universe. Like, mm. I couldn't go to the DC universe and make a character... Okay, this uh, this character is... Uh, this. She's a British lesbian, and she is the most powerful person in the universe, and she is the avatar of all that is good. And you can't do that, because that's Superman's job. <laughs> uh, and so, basically, when you're creating characters, you're looking for what niches aren't filled. Yes. How can they be... Like, when we're doing, like... When I made, like... So when me and Jamie reinvented uh America Chavez for Marvel uh we we realized Marvel doesn't really have a Wonder Woman. Mm. So we kind of end up like doing a kind of like a Wonder Woman with a street level attitude was kind of the approach to her.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's you know I mean that's the sort of thinking you have to do. And the metaphor I come to is basically these people are never going away because they're immortal.
0: Mm. So it's like
1: baby boomers. The idea that these people have have this position this will you know and they are never retiring. Yeah. <laughs> Which is why that like, it's so important to a do what you can there, but B, you know, why we need new universes. Right.
0: This is the most,
1: yeah. for me, the most depressing thing in the last 10 years of culture, there's not Ugh. enough new stuff. I had an argument with a friend, not an argument with a friend. I've got to take, oh, I'm really ranting at you, Merritt. I'm sorry. No,
0: I, this is all wow. great. This is all fascinating. Um, and I, I share a lot of these. I've
1: views. got a feeling that the matrix blew it. And like, <laughs> I think, if an, you know what I mean? Not just blew it because the second two are bad movies. Like, that was the that was the last chance. There was a this that within twenty years there was a chance for like a new an entirely new franchise built huh. from scratch, and like if they had been become this generation's that generation Star Wars,
0: yeah,
1: it would have entirely made the concept. That would have I almost think they that they didn't do that. That closed the door, and so many other people were even trying to do that.
0: Yeah, and I get
1: I get so sad. Like, when there's so few new science fiction or like general genre franchises attempts yeah and when any of them blow it it depresses me as like i get real i mean like i've watched you know uh bright or whatever it's called and you know i wish bright was good i wish any new sure, concept was did. good <laughs> and it's like yeah that's what now, that's what depresses me
0: i i feel like i've never really thought about that before but you're right the matrix is sort of one of those things that and i Yeah, I I was never uh, a Matrix fan. I I don't like, and there's a revival of it now that I'm very confused about. But um, I'm I'm not a fan
1: either. I was I quite like the first one, but I never I I saw the first one. It was amazing. I I I saw everything was ripping off.
0: Yeah, Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. (laughs) Um, but. The one realm where I do see this kind of happening is in like YA stuff because yes. you get huge franchises happening there seemingly like every couple of years. And then there is a, a pipeline now where they are kind of translated in a film like The Hunger Games really pioneered that. But those don't really achieve the same kind of universal uh, kind of penetration, I guess. Um, yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. To be honest, I feel like a complete fool. As in, that is the absolutely big hole in that argument um I'm trying to think where, where
0: no but it's yeah
1: not... but you're right. that that is where the, that's kind of that's the most optimistic thing i thought of yeah, I mean, yeah. That, obviously that that stuff's entirely true and you saw it's you know you saw the the 20 years past harry potter or whatever it is now and you see the stuff sort of shaking through and how the hunger games have hit and these are kind of like useful modern mythologies for young people
0: yeah yeah that, that's yeah the i guess harry potter stuff. as well um yeah, know, um, but but Star Wars is still Star Wars, and and Marvel is still Marvel, and I guess the kind of the the
1: bottom they're like bottom up products, aren't they? You know what mm. I mean? I think about this with Wicked, sort of the Wicked Divine. Like, um, we were trying to make a new a new kind of like mythology for now, yeah. or, or twenty fourteen. Uh, but even if that ever like got really 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 big, it would still be a kind of different thing than just someone dropping a movie. Yeah. You know, there's the kind of, um, the tabula, not tabula, so the jumping from the forehead of Zeus of it, like the whole Athena uh-huh. aspect. Um, there's something especially appealing of just like, here is a drop of new culture that everyone experiences simultaneously and prose and, and trust to some last degree video games. Mm-hmm. These kind of grow organically and then a bit well, like middle earth, like when, you know, Tolkien came up from that. Hmm. This is interesting stuff, Merritt. I will go and write an essay. <laughs> please do, please
0: do. Yeah, ah. yeah, that stuff is so fascinating and I feel like it it's come up before on this show how how those things get generated. And then there's the a weird kind of impulse I feel like now which probably has always existed but is made easier by the advent of Wikipedia and social media to um to consume these sort of worlds primarily in a process of like uh categorization and like in in uh encyclopedic researching almost um like there is this this impulse to wikify and to to sort of dissect that i find really interesting
1: Mm. what's your take on like uh, the tv tropes of criticism
0: oh i think it's
1: (laughs) that's a big question
0: (laughs) The TV now. Could you clarify the TV tropification of criticism?
1: The idea of like, it's an interesting. It's an it's an intersection for me between academic criticism and fan criticism. Ooh. And TV tropes allowed to various parts of fans' criticism to be codified. Yes. and and they are kind of used like uh, they're checkboxes. People are, or like immediately like. Flash, like not flashcard, in kind. Of, I have identified a trope. Yes. Therefore, yes. I now own it. As in other words, the the noting a trope is the end of an argument rather than continuation of rather right. than a device to use to continue a conversation. I think
0: that is bad. I think that's a bad thing.
1: <laughs> yes, I don't I mean, think yeah. it's
0: good because, um, and you know, I've seen the same thing. I don't think it's limited to media, um, or mm. I don't think it's limited to TV tropes necessarily because I've seen the same thing in, um, kind of. Uh, If you look at like mid 2000s feminist blogging, there's Mm -hmm. sort of this proliferation of terms and phrases that are maybe initially useful at identifying patterns in in social dynamics, but really quickly become used to, um, like you say, to just be like, that is the end of the conversation is, oh, that's this, Um, Mm -hmm. which is not. That interesting, and especially in like criticism and TV criticism or, or media criticism, tropes aren't bad. They're patterns of story. To, they exist for a reason. Mm. Um, and to to sort of say like, oh, this is just this is like, well, it's like when people say, oh, well, this is a social construction, um, and then it's like, <laughs> and um, yes, that's very interesting. Could you elaborate on that? And it's like, no, I was just trying to look smart. Mm. Um, that's I not I mean, it's
1: bad. Th- I feel sorry for TV tropes because they obviously say on the first page, tropes are not bad. <laughs>
0: yes, 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 yes.
1: For <laughs> for them, um, but you say that it's like it's one of these things that I always think about as a critic, and like generally as a human, I get sad of those kind of like easy arguments. You know, what I mean, like the yes. e- the, those kind of like there's this theory I used to do, do used to do boundary. That was my kind of background. So I did evolution, you know, evolutionary studies in there. Oh, and they kind no of idea. like. Uh, it's a, I just ran away from that. <laughs> <laughs> like a localized optimum. You know, the idea that these there's optimums in evolution which are easy to fall into, and it's kind of you get stuck there because the peaks of evolution on either side are quite hard to get over. Right. And the selection pressures and etc. So like anyone who you get these ideas which anyone who's thought about a topic for a little while will have.
0: Yes. yes.
1: And then think, oh that's and then they kind of can dismiss everything else after. And of course, anyone who's like thought about the topic at all, and this happens to any you know whether it's feminism criticism or gay or any form of like music criticism, especially is that kind of um, that that oh, you know for such individuals, why do they all dress the same? That kind of argument. So uh-huh. It's like yes, that is that is a question. That's not a statement. Right. You know that's not the, you know like why do they? <laughs> it's like yeah, right. that, that is an area of enormous thought you can put into, it. and that's kind of I don't know, that's what I try to write. Okay, that's one of the things I wrote about. Um, yeah, okay. I, I am going through a period of frustration. Uh, I think it's partially my age. I get frustrated by by certain cycles in discourse, in that I know how this is going to go. Yep, <laughs> it's like, can we skip to the end? <laughs> uh, and I know it's we have to go for this, but it's like I want to almost step back and just get involved at a different point. As oh, I don't think, absolutely! You know, I don't think it's. I don't know. It's I why it's tired. why I
0: don't really participate in in those kinds of conversations anymore because I sort of know like you say how things are gonna play out and honestly at this point i think that the pace at which people reach that point of knowing has accelerated which is a good thing i like people talk about oh you know it's like um it's really easy for people with these really shallow readings of media to uh to swarm online and to sort of share these really um puritanical or um or uh, overly simplistic views and like i think that's true and also i think it's true that the rate at which people realize oh this is a pattern that happens every time and we can just sort of bypass that and have conversations amongst ourselves the grown-ups about and i say grown-ups not to mean people who have reached a certain chronological age but those who have maybe reached a certain like level of uh, of maturity in terms of criticism <laughs> which i think is independent of chronological age um but you know we can have a conversation on our own and you know other people are maybe working things out um or or haven't gotten to a place yet where they they can do that um and we don't have to participate in that um mm. so, you can't always before, sidestep it but i think sometimes it's it's useful to try
1: i was about to say before you said that which just takes a lot of the place of where well, anything we said in this conversation so far could be taken apart and like uh unpacked to a level of like being really problematic and that's that's the nature of any single sentence (laughs)
0: no absolutely (laughs) absolutely
1: Um, and we sort of dance around not dance around that but we sort of that's the cost of doing business i guess yeah Mm.
0: i think that's fair um i think you know all this stuff is so hard because on the one hand there are these mantras of like humility and like um you know anyone like all of our speech all of our um habits and all of our ways of thinking about, about media and about just social interactions are are um conditioned by the by culture and by like the world we've been steeping in and, and by history. Um you know none of us can escape that. And also at the same time there's this thing that sits along that which is that if you um if you make a statement that can be parsed that way, then you are to be excised from the conversation and obliterated and to be clear i'm not this isn't like a general criticism of like call outs or anything it's just like i'm just trying to think like there are these weird tensions that sit alongside one another and like we have to work through those
1: yes i mean this is this is complication any i'm increasingly not a fan of twitter as in i use twitter (laughs) for two things which is (laughs) jokes as in, like, my actual, my, my things on Twitter are based around answering questions occasionally, jokes. As in, like, I've cut down to basically performance, like, yes. idiocy with Jamie Same. and me.
0: You're and... a menace on Twitter. And I say that <laughs> as bad. as the American Dennis the Menace. You are the UK <laughs> version. Um... <laughs> I'm, I'm not, I'm his pet dog. Like, Jamie's Dennis
1: the Menace. <laughs> and I'm just Nasha. Like, yes, yes. I know. Used... Oh, it's like, it's like the sort of stuff I used to do on Twitter, I simply don't do. I don't have opinions on Twitter. I retweet no, stuff. No, no, yeah, me neither. Which are in- anything which. I mean, I just write an essay if I need to. I just yeah, distrust sure. Twitter. Because even, even the best Twitter like, essay structure means that you can take any single tweet and use it individually. Right. And that, of course, that's just a bad th- ecosystem to put ideas into for me mm-hmm. so like and it's awful because I love having opi- I, I was professionally opinionated <laughs> you know for 15 years of my life I had opinions professionally mm-hmm. so it's, it's pretty hard for me <laughs> but
0: yeah.
1: uh, so I think we went to like a discussion of serious uh, the, the mores of social conversation because I just feel ashamed of immediately going that deep into games workshop
0: <laughs> <laughs> we have to they talk about something smart or people are going to think that we're nerds uh, Yeah,
1: yeah. We, just, we need to level this out <laughs>
0: absolutely absolutely it's very important to reach that that balance
1: can i talk about my favorite weapon in all of 40k you mentioned silly oh, weapons earlier and this please me of, please like,
0: let's let's dig deep down into it we've we filled our our quotient of of smart chat so
1: yep we need to alternate between like each sentence we go back and forth between yes. actually we've read a book and the other one is i've only read the warhammer rogue trader manual like <laughs> between the two we find the two parts of my spirit. <laughs> Uh oh, the Harlequins kiss. This is my favorite. You, you know, remember that one?
0: Now the Harlequins are kind of a dancing clown <laughs> eldar, more so than yes. your regular eldar.
1: They are dancing. Uh, sorry, this is the podcast I what you want to do. In that kind of, I want to basically get my fr- probably my friend John Walker, who is very good at pretending not to know anything. Yeah, and Kieran Gillen explains random things from Warhammer to people. Oh, yes, <laughs> at length. But they are basically. Uh, hologram-covered, like, ninja clowns. Yep. You know, That's they do a dance troupe, and the whole thing is basically doing stories about how their entire race was, like, had sex too much and created a yep. god that's now going to kill them all. They were too hardy. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, it's literally. It's she who firsts is the god, and it's like I think the subtext there is clear. Uh, where are we? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> harlequins—they just like killing people, uh, and they—you know—the warrior clown people, and they've got these grinning masks. But their definitive weapon is the harlequin's kiss, which is basically a tube, and they prod the tube as they basically dance up to somebody, stick the tube in them, and then a filament wire shoots out the tube, scoops around the insides of whoever they have prodded it in, turns them into milkshake. <laughs> And then the first, they pull the tube out, and the person drops the floor in a big bag of like human flesh. I hate
0: it. I hate it. That's it's like
1: someone sat down at work (laughs) and like they thought, (laughs) okay, we need a new weapon for the elder because it's it's got a sticky thing. What could it do? Okay, give me ten minutes.
0: (laughs) That's that's a good job. That's a good job. Good um, job, Andy Kelly. Not Andy Kelly, the other one. Whoever did that, Andy yeah, Collins, it's like well, the other guy. If I've them, it, oh,
1: it's yeah, Rich, uh, Rick Priestley, or wh- sure. whichever one it was. Yeah, hit one of them. And it's, there's one of the new. There's a monster called the Corner Gaff, which I say because I'm looking at one because I painted one this mm-hmm. year. It's beautiful. And Corner Gaff. They're like. They're just like this weird kind of skull bulimics is the only way to put it. (laughs) As they go around and they eat people's heads and just swallow their skulls until they're bulging. And the model has skulls like visible bursting through their side. Then they go back to the throne of corn, the blood god. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And they vomit all the skulls up at his feet, adding to the mountain of skulls there. And then they go out to eat more skulls. Oh my god. It's so dumb. It's like, very biggest, dumb. You know what I mean. This is for me. We talked about the Grim Doc thing earlier. It's an oh yeah, like if you take this seriously, it's grim. But it's just so like I can't take that seriously. <laughs> That's so ludicrously uh, off the scale nonsense.
0: My uh, one of my favorite <laughs> Warhammer weapons of all time, not because it's like particularly interesting in its mechanism, but just because it's so iconic and stupid as the Power Fist.
1: Oh, that's nothing but That I think it's I'd wonder. A,
0: like, a, like may, you know, no weapon I think is more iconic of Warhammer than you know, maybe a, a chain sword, which is also incredibly the chain stupid. <laughs> <laughs> the Chainsaw sword, for people who don't know, is a sword, and one side or sometimes the entire thing is a chainsaw because everything has chainsaws on it. Um, but power fist. It's just a big hand. It's like a, a sports <laughs> event, those like novelty big hands. It's that, but it makes your fist really strong and you can punch through a tank. Yeah. It's like
1: a it surrounds it with a force field or something like that and it it, it like does that. I'm looking at one now which but is basically it's huge.
0: a chain. It's it so big. I,
1: I'm looking at a chain fist right now. So I've
0: got my miniatures oh in front of me. Oh my god. Oh yeah, that's is... a power f- fist with a chain. <laughs> on <laughs> On the side, so it's like it's like it's like a spork <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> kind of it's way. like what are you going to use that for? <laughs> mm, just like nothing friendly. It's like kind no mm. oh, yeah, chain swords. That's, like that's just silly. Come on, mm. come on. I I always loved. So I was a chaos player when I played Warhammer. Hmm. Any particular god? Well, I started off generic, and then I moved into Nurgle. Yeah, good call. Who, for people who don't know, is the chaos god of decay. Um, and so zombies, essentially just zombies, but like super zombies. Um, and everything's falling apart and rotting and it's disgusting and it's like really great. Um, and they have a really great backstory as well, um, of like Mortis, I think is the framework of, of the Death Guard yeah. being raised on some like being raised basically by like a weird aristocratic vampire and then leading a class revolt against him uh how do i remember that
1: <laughs> it's not a business we um it's beautiful we're actually my wedding uh the one my one primary thing at the wedding was our tables were named after the primarchs oh god <laughs> uh which is such a high level geek as in, we had a kind of like anything which like motorian wasn't allowed because anything which just sounds like deaf death i sure. was like no but like stuff like Horus, uh, or you know, Mortarian. Or like okay, wait.
0: How many primarchs can you? You can probably name them all, right? But how many can <sighs> I, I name? Uh, go for it. You got okay. Well, you gave me Mortarian. I thought it was Mortis. That's wrong. uh, uh Sanguinius. Got Blood Angels. Blood Angels. Uh God. Can I really? Uh, is there a Crow one? Is that something? Yes, there is one. Kortus. Close. Cletus. (laughs) How do I not remember it? Corvus. Uh, Corvus. Iron Man is not a Primarch. He's just a guy.
1: Iron Man is just, yeah, he's a dude of Magnus the Red.
0: (sighs) Magnus the Red is the, he has one eye, he's a giant. Yeah, they've made a model of him recently. What? It's pretty amazing. I yeah, need yeah, yeah. to look that up. Uh, I can't As remember. As this finishes, anymore. I will send you some pictures
1: of like some of the current like lunacy. Okay, models. Like, I'm gonna make a... a
0: list of. I'm gonna look at a list of primarchs um, right now because this is embarrassing. So the last time
1: I hung out with like Quinton Smith, he did exactly the same thing to me. He said, "How many primarchs can you name?" And <laughs> I was, uh, I was quite out of my head at the time. So it's like I can't. Please don't throw that shit on me. But I could probably do quite well. I reckon. Okay, like, I wouldn't do, couldn't do them all, but well. Uh,
0: uh, no, why I'm don't not gonna you... do it. I'm you? Okay, I've got a list right here. So start. Oh God! How did I, I, really... I not get? How did I not get like the number one dude? Oh my God! Now my mind's gone blank. Okay, <laughs> uh, think think Egyptian mythology.
1: Well, Horus. I've said Horus, Horus earlier. Yes. Okay, Horus. We've done Magnus the Red. We've done. San... Do the, uh, We've done Sanguineus. Fulgrim. Sanguineus. Fulgrim. I should room. just go down the bad guys Morturia yes yes uh, who's the Iron Hands one
0: uh that
1: is Ferris
0: Manus because uh, it's literally just Iron Hands Ferris Hand. Manus
1: yes it's like that's 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 one of those kind of like it's like Blackgar Baltagon Blackgar Baltagon <laughs> being Black yeah, Bolt's
0: real name yeah, in Marvel that's marvellous
1: so uh I can't do anymore my okay. brain has completely failed
0: uh t- 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 the most famous Tank and Warhammer
1: oh obviously Layman Russ Layman Russ uh the Ultramarines one, I've literally... They've made a model of him, and he's an it's idiot. It's a really
0: terrible name. Roboot Gulliman. Oh,
1: yeah, Robut Gulliman. Yes.
0: Uh, okay, the other ones are... That... Uh, Vulcan? Yes, Rogel, Salamanders. Rogel Dorn? uh
1: are the... These, I, believe... I my folk, minor thing. I believe that's they're, Imperial the... Fists. Yes. Imperial fists who have bright canary yellow. Yeah. And they're meant to be a very sto, incredibly stoic, serious warriors who are experts in sieges. And they turn up to battle canary
0: yellow. <laughs> uh, I love it. I always thought those brightly colored ones were really cool looking, but it was really hard for me to paint them, so I always went with darker ones. So.
1: Yeah. Uh, it's always like they, sorry, they, they're owning a look. It's like if you walk into are. the room in canary yellow, it's like you must, you know. It's almost like, come on, have a fight. It's well, It's like
0: stormtroopers. They're not afraid. Yeah. Uh, real quick, the rest are Lionel Johnson. Yeah, Dark Angels. Lionel Johnson, who's like a poet. He's actually, this is like, this is classic dumb war. Yeah. This is like the poet. You know, it's like nonsense. Yeah. Perturabo. I think that's like, El- no, that's uh, Word Bearers, maybe? Uh, yeah. We're- no, Iron Warriors. Uh, yeah. yeah. Laura. That's the one I was trying
1: to think of. Yeah. Logar, who is the word bearers yes
0: uh jagatai khan which is white scars uh yeah. conrad kurz <laughs> <So dumb>. <laughs> <laughs> hello i am conrad conrad kurz
1: uh it's like it's, li- it's literally hot heart- his origin is definite. it's just literally heart of darkness it's literally you heart that- of darkness it- and it he is, is like the like- night
0: night warriors yeah. like uh angron yeah, uh, we'll try, what's the old,
1: oh, Omegon and Alphurion? Yeah. They're like the twins. Alphal- like, yeah,
0: Alpharius, yeah. Omegon. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, that was a trip. A that time. was a
1: journey. Tell you, my, you mentioned Nurgle. My favourite... You talk about Nurgle. This, is this for me, sums up some of the appeal of him. For, like, listen, if anyone's listening, they'll have no idea what we're talking about. Nurgle is a god the god of
0: chaos and of decay. He's a big, rotting dude. And lovable. Because
1: he's, uh, he's he kind of like the idea that, you know... Dying is a beautiful thing because life is just like dying, to quote Larkin. Uh, so he's like <laughs> Father Nurgle, so he's very affectionate. But the beasts of Nurgle, who are basically the monsters and they run, f- they're like this enormous kind of slug thing with tentacles. Yeah. Um, but they have the personality of Labradors. So their oh. entire the entire thing is they run up to, oh my god there's a new friend and they run up to them and they slobber all over them excitedly and then the, this person they're slobbering grows stiff and dies because they're covered in the most dangerous diseases ever known to humanity and it's then good the, and then the beast gets sad because a friend is dead and then they look up and there's another friend and they run over to that friend oh my god <laughs> it's incredibly happy lap- weaponized labradors oh so, my
0: god what? I love nurglings too they're like gremlins they are adorable uh, there's nothing not to love Okay, I sorry, I just did go look up the Magnus the Red thing, and um, why does he have titty horns? <laughs> if you can have titty horns, you know, I mean, why you not? Well. I guess he just ran out of room for horns, I guess. He just uh, decided yeah. those two on his head weren't big enough, and just, like, what is the purpose of, or is that like a, a, a weapon rack to hold his big staff when he's not using? I'm going to put a picture of this in the show notes, because this is just like... He's just got titty horns. There's no other way I can describe it.
1: There's a miniature, when they're doing Undead in fantasy recently, they've got these kind of like dragons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're like, it's like a symphony, to it's like a, a love poem to skulls. <laughs> uh, like <laughs> each one of these dragons is just full of skulls. It's like it's a skull pinata. Everything's skulls. Because, <laughs> yeah, it's just like we've got a, a skeleton and we've packed the skeleton. It's like a turducken of skulls. <laughs> and it's, about, it's like we just just like skulls. They did a before Christmas. They did a a, a box, literally, of skulls. Like just <laughs> like I, I think it's like 180 skulls. skulls. Like to, and it, God bless them. The actual the, the kind of copy is self aware enough to to know that it's nonsense. At Warhammer, you know, we're big fans of skulls. We, <laughs> we love skulls. He was 180 skulls for decorating your boxes. God. I was once in the um. Uh, you've been to Paris, obviously. The the catacombs. And so. Like, almost every time I've ever been to Paris, I've gone down the catacombs, because I, too, like skulls. Who uh, doesn't love skulls? <laughs> but there's this one thing, and you go, and it's like, they have got designs of the bones, and the the, the, the ossaries have these designs. You go down about five, and you hit this one where you know someone has been working there too long, because they've got a, a, the skulls arranged in a heart shape.
0: Oh, my God.
1: And you've just got the image of somebody on Valentine's Day bringing down their partner <laughs> and going, for
0: you <laughs> <laughs> Oh, incredible! Yeah. Oh, skulls. Everything's skulls. You know, you're a skull. I'm a skull. Yeah. We're all skulls. Like the- Some of us are scrolls, but most of us are skulls. Scrolls have skulls.
1: They this do. Is a, must never forget that. Never Literally, forget. The first, the first page of Wicked Divine is a skull.
0: Uh, <laughs> I- See, everything skulls. Never, never escape my influences. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. No, nor should you. Uh, go on, go on. (laughs)
1: I'm just laughing. It's like, so this podcast has been five minutes of Twitter discussion, of the importance of discussion and like 40 minutes of random things in Warhammer and Warhammer 40k that amuse us.
0: It's Uh, a very wide, uh, audience appeal, you know, I haven't even mentioned Skaven yet, which is, uh, okay. Have I told you my Skaven story? No. Well, I've, I have two Skaven stories, actually. Um, One is that when I was living abroad in the UK, um, I was playing Mordheim with a Skaven (laughs) warband in the student center. And... There was a band playing, and the lead singer like walked by the room that we were playing Mordheim in. Like, it was a quite big band whose name I can't remember. Maybe I will by the time the show notes come out. Uh, and he walked by. He's he was bald. Was, that was his. That was very distinctive look. Uh, and he like looked in, peeked in to these people playing Mordheim, and looked very confused, and uh, and just kept walking. And that isn't a story. I apologize. That's we'll cut that. That's nothing. Um, no, but I once got a date with a girl um because I knew about skaven Wow yeah we somehow that's pretty good. we somehow got started talking about Warhammer at this party and I was like oh yeah I used to have a skaven warband it was like pretty cool um and uh yeah that's uh, <laughs> yeah, we we in, got together
1: I, I was into skaven when they were underground
0: <laughs> <laughs> Yes literally literally yeah um yeah skaven are good I had a their I had that warband for Many years before I decided I was finally going to stop carrying it around because I was never gonna play Mordheim again.
1: It's like it's due for a revival, I'm sure.
0: It's a much more uh, economical game because it's just about your gang of weirdos. I mean, they made a Mortheim a Mordheim PC game a few years ago.
1: They did, didn't they?
0: Yeah, I think it was kind of like a Left For Dead sort of thing.
1: Mm.
0: I guess that's fine. Well, do you want to move on to the the segment that we do on this show? <sighs> oh. Oh my God, I have to think of
1: recommendations.
0: <laughs> we do. I should have sent you that beforehand, but it's called Get Wrapped.
1: Get Wrapped. It's all right. I can work it out.
0: Okay. Do you want me to go first then?
1: Go first and I'll, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll work out something as well.
0: Today, I am going to recommend a television series, uh, a single season uh, series that was uh, aired on BBC Two in 2000. And it's called Bruiser. Have you ever seen Bruiser?
1: I have not seen Bruiser.
0: Bruiser is a sketch show that uh featured David Mitchell, Robert Webb, Olivia Coleman, Matt Holness, Martin Freeman, and Charlotte Hudson. And so it has all of these people on it who have since sort of become A-listers in British mm. comedy. And um but it's almost completely forgotten. Uh it's it's a little hit and miss compared to, say, a Michelin Webb look or something. Um, but there is some very good stuff in it. And Martin Freeman is incredible. If you're going to look up anything, uh, I'd say the, like the Incompetent Q sketch, which is repeated several times, is very good. Um, there's one where uh, Martin Freeman – it's a sort of a fake documentary with Martin Freeman and his wife, Olivia Colman. And uh, every time they come in, he's just like – then something else outrageous, like he's like, Oh, I well, she has to just accept that I'm gay and, you know, she doesn't uh you know, that's just for her to to deal with. And um or he's just decided to become a Muslim or uh and it's just obviously always like a, a terrible like uh he's just trying to seem more interesting. Um but it's a very it's a varied series. They're all there are a lot of great sketches. There are only six episodes and they're about half an hour long each so it's a very quick watch. Mm. Um and yeah, no, I just sort of discovered it recently because basically I've discovered that British sitcoms and sketch shows from the early 2000s are an, are a, an infinitely renewable resource. There are always more if you dig deep. So I went from sort of Michelin Webb look to Michelin Webb situation to Bruiser. And then Martin Freeman is on a show where he works in a hardware store called Hardware, which I'm on now. Um, and it just sort of continues indefinitely.
1: It's, it's it's always interesting seeing though like a the early work but be the kind of the scene of it yeah you know, the kind of like you see people who knew people and they were trying to like they had s- some commissioning editor who liked their work enough to keep on giving them tries and like that it almost feels like comics it's what i like about comics is they're quite short form mm. you know you, i write a script in a week jamie draws it in a month and what, what's next uh, and you can kind of burn around and play around and meet different people. So it's always quite that early work stuff. Mm. I mean, also there's the um, my favorite. I think my favorite joke, in fact, it's the only joke I tell people from the good place when trying to sell it to them, uh-huh. uh, is the um, Tennessee saying, "Oh, this is a British classic. Uh, it was on for like thirty years. They did almost thirty episodes of it." <laughs> <laughs> and which is like, just a for other like that's a very, very specific. British comedy joke uh-huh.
0: That's
1: it. Those six episode series Yeah, yep, yep. It's the thing oh my God, What is actually recommendable Like I've been out and I've done interesting things mm. I uh, bought shoes No, nope, shoes not good
0: uh, Shoes, I think wearing shoes Is a fine I've, recommendation
1: I bought, I bought. Did I mention I bought running shoes today? You did That, say that, that was the other thing on the journey I'm going to recommend, look around the room And what is interesting <laughs> in this room And it's like I have in front of me a wall full of like my Warhammer miniatures, a bunch of variety books. To the right of me is my work book pile. Uh in terms of like stuff which I'm using for the thing. Tell you what I liked. Uh have you read have you read Playing the, at the World? No. The John Peterson book. Basically, Playing at the World is um like six hundred pages long. It's basically uh, oversized, tiny font book. It's basically four books tied together. <laughs> uh and it's kind of a Semi-academic history of the origins of D and D, and it does like the kind of both the kind of how you know Oneson and Guy got together, and like you know, and all those kind of proto games, and then it kind of does free traps and other stuff. Then comes back and, and then what happened with D and D. So like basically, about a quarter of the book is about actually specifically D and D, but the other ones are basically book-sized essays on one is Prussian. Uh, military wargaming of the nineteenth century, <laughs> <laughs> and one of the section is uh, basically about Charlotte, Charlotte Bronte <laughs> and all the Bronte sisters and their brother, and uh, uh, I forgot the word, but basically shared fictional universes. Yes, and yeah, it, which I love. And the third section is um, specifically about the fantasy genre, so it's kind of going <laughs> through Tolkien and all the American. So it was those. It's all about the intellectual inter- ingredients because there's something that obsesses me, and that kind of like. People talk about the gaming renaissance of the 20th century as a technological thing. You normally think about the like the microchip as basically, you know, the microchip allowed more complicated games. Therefore, we got, you know, whatever game culture is now, for better or worse. Mm. Um, but it's also, it's not true. <laughs> it's like you could have, we could, you know, give me, we could go back and play D&D with the Romans, you know, because they had D20s back then. Right. <laughs> you know, what they didn't have was the intellectual concept of D&D. Mm hmm. So to play D&D, you had to have statistics. And, you know, the concept of statistics was based, it was quite a big new thing in the 19th century, but also statistics being applied to, like, battles, and which then led to other things. Mm. You needed to have postmodernism. You needed to have, you know what I mean? There's uh-huh. a bunch of intellectual traditions which did not exist then, yeah. <laughs> which, which means that D&D could not be invented then. Huh. And that's the kind of the – that's the other side of, like, all of this. I've, um, I think perhaps i with gaming being a form which tends to be dominated by technocrats – the actual uh, the liberal arts side of it tends to be overlooked. Absolutely. Whew, unrest. Anyway, anyway. Play, uh, playing at the world is enormous. You can kill anybody with it. I can barely <laughs> lift it myself. Uh, but that's a really it's it's a good book. It might even be four. <laughs> right. so it's quite, some bits really dry. You've got this one bit where it basically goes through all the mechanics for D and D and where they individually came from. And the uh, piece that actually stops at the start of this section is the rest of this chapter is a kind of you know this this very painstaking approach of each mechanic uh you may you know unless you have specific interest in mechanics you may wish to actually skip the rest of this chapter <laughs> as that it's only of marginal interest <laughs> so you know, it I love what a does that. it's like yeah for god's sake guys you know turn back there's danger this is yeah. just no one no one wants to read this i read it <laughs> <laughs> of course
0: <sighs>
1: you know you don't make me t- i don't quit I no. beat you John Peterson. I beat you with your words. You won. Anyway, that's that's a right. that's a book recommendation, which is relatively serious.
0: That's perfect. That's so
1: good. Hey. Actually, I'll be about to actually, people want actual recommendations. I'm about to do my tracks of the year. I, I do run my little newsletter, uh-huh. uh, and every year since like 2003, I've done my top 40 tracks of the year or whatever.
0: Oh, great!
1: Uh, so after I cook food, uh, I will I'll sit down and write it. That's my kind of my plan for the rest of the evening. This is actually my relaxation thing. If, oh. Oh, no, I'll, I'll sit and write 2,000 words about pop music. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, yeah, that sounds great. I will let you get to that because I think that just about brings us to the end of the show. And this goes out near the end of January. So I think probably on January 20th. Um, is there anything that you want to uh, let people know about? Or? Uh
1: not really it's like i've got <laughs> you know I have a, But my best thing is a t- i've got a tiny letter like tiny letter slash kieran gillen k-i-e-r-o-n-g-i-l-l-e-n mm-hmm. and i write about essays and nonsense and just generally plug stuff the new wick dibs out today like oh, the wicking divine tr- six trades out which is free trades to go we're kind of um getting there so that's <laughs> kind of the fun stuff and we're announcing new books soon as i've got this new book i'm working on which i'm very excited about
0: Ooh
1: and thank you so much for having me this has been fun yeah thanks um, for coming on yeah
0: yeah well and, and have fun with your uh, with your list
1: yes and next time in the UK I will completely set up a Warhammer game and <laughs> uh, there will be uh, magnificent
0: yes I'm so excited excellent <laughs> alright well I'll talk to you later thanks for having me bye bye Woodland Secrets is hosted by Mary Kay and produced and edited by me, Nick Bravo. Woodland Secrets is a part of Stay Mean, the world's only podcast network. We're entirely listener-supported. If you enjoy the show, please consider becoming a patron of Stay Mean at woodlandsecrets.co support. For as little as three bucks a month, you'll get access to a monthly newsletter and frequent bonus episodes of our shows. If you'd like to have a message read on the show... Head to woodlandsecrets.co/slash messages. You can help people find out about the show. Please mention us on Twitter. We're at Woodland Podcast and at Stay Mean Co. Or rate and review us in iTunes. We really appreciate it. Thanks for listening.